You're listening to a 1911 podcast. This is Celebs and the Average Joe. Welcome to episode 17 of Celebs and the Average Joe with myself, Phil Reynolds. I hope you're well. On this episode, we went back to Sydney. I recorded this podcast this morning, having a chat with Matthew Bennett or Matty B, as he's known since his time on Married at First Sight Australia, reflecting on everything before, during and after the most talked about social experiment on TV. By the way, this is just some avocado and some strawberries. It's not like a pina colada at 11 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm enjoying some unseasonable warmth for April. It was snowing on Easter Monday, believe it or not, which was Monday. Monday just passed. And Mm. it was really nice on the weekend before. And then it was snowing. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the UK. Should I just start by being polite and say, good eye? If you want to. I mean, I don't even say g'day, but sure, why not? Do you want to just have a podcast where we could see how many times we could say g'day in a sentence? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it would be really entertaining. I'm worried then it'll become a part of my vernacular and it's just not. Yeah, yeah. I just have to Google what vernacular means, so we'll move on quickly. (laughs) So it's about two and a half years since you filmed Married at First Sight. Let's be fair, it wasn't just filming a program or a reality series with a few strangers and hopefully a few people will fall in love. This was the most watched social experiment, certainly in the UK, over the last few years. What was the experience? Okay, I got to cast my mind back two and a half years ago, September 2018. Um, for me, I think like from the beginning, my my motives for going in were not... I. I didn't want to become an influencer. Like I didn't even have Instagram before the show started. That was something that the producers suggested I get for whatever reason. Um, My, my thing was I was an absolute socially anxious introvert who really hadn't had a relationship and I wasn't happy where I was in my life. And I just, I knew I needed to do something so drastic, like such a massive shakeup that would just, yeah, shake me out of, I guess, I don't know, apathy or whatever routine I was stuck in and just maybe, you know, open the door to what could be, you know, what, what, what lies outside my sheltered little existence. And at the same time, I really, like, I really always wanted to, I guess, fall in love, like find someone to share my life with someone I could just confide in and be open with and just like be myself. And so Married at First Sight for me was an opportunity to kind of kill two birds with one stone. It's going to shake up my life and I'm going to find someone to fall in love with. That's what I thought going in. That wasn't the reality that I found in the actual experience. Like I, I sort of went in thinking the reason all these other series has seasons hadn't worked and like the matches hadn't worked is because people weren't open and honest and true to themselves. And they were, you know, expecting all these things. So you, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there. I'm not going to expect anything. I just want someone who's a good person who I can be open with. And I'm going to just wear my heart on my sleeve and be completely myself. That's what I did. And I, I guess, mistakenly thought that if I did that, the other person would be the same. You know, they would be open and honest and forthcoming. And that, so I took what I was presented with, what I was, I guess, led to believe the person I was matched with was as what it was. So I, I guess, I fell for the experiment. I, 
just, I don't even know how to word it. Like I just took everyone on their word. Like the producer said, we found you your match. This person I was matched with said she was one thing. And then I believed it. And it was only, I think it was a couple of days later after I had done the deed that this other person, the, um, the mask, the veneer began to slip. And I get, actually began to see the kind of person she really was and that who she was pretending to be wasn't who I thought she was. So that's where for my, my exit of the show ended quite abruptly with me saying that I wasn't attracted to this other person. And that was because when I found out who she really was, the kind of person she was, the kind of value she had, it wasn't something I was looking for. It wasn't the kind of person I was attracted to. So that's where that came from. Um, and then after that experiment, I thought, you know what? I was only in there 10 days. I can just get back out. There's plenty of other couples to keep the public entertained. They'll forget about me. I can just go back into my regular life. That was not the case at all. It just blew up and I was plastered all over commercials and media as the 29-year-old virgin. And then I noticed that on the show, they even... Like after I was no longer the 29-year-old virgin, I was the ex-virgin. It was just, it was ridiculous. And then I'd have people, I guess, contacting me. And like, I went through a whole thing where there was a lot of like abuse from just the general public and also from this person I was matched with. And it just, it seemed to go on for months and months and months. And to a point where I thought it was never going to die down. And this is like, I'm going to be stuck with this forever, but eventually it did die down and then it aired in the UK and in Ireland. And now it sort of like, it picked back up again. And it's fortunately what I found though, is the, the audiences in the UK and Ireland are, have been a lot more supportive. And I'm not sure if it's because you guys have had, I guess, some problems with reality TV in the past. So you're more aware that, you know, what you see isn't actually what happens or it's just, I don't know what it is, but it's been a lot more supportive. Yeah. From you guys. And I think that's probably the the journey in a nutshell, I think. It's one of the things that stands out to me, Matty, about you going on a program like this, about you saying you don't have, well, you didn't have social media at the time. And you seem mm. like somebody who likes to, I hate to coin the, the phrase, but I'm going to have to, likes to keep himself to himself or herself to herself. And then you go on a massive social experiment to highlight the fact that at the time you were a 29 year old virgin, a lot of people mm. who would be in that scenario or situation would want to keep that to themselves and mm. let, let love naturally run its course and you find who you want to be with. But mm. you took, you took, I guess, would you say a risk? Uh, definitely. At the time I thought it was a calculated risk, but I, also realize how naive I was thinking that I know, I know, like I, I've worked in the film and television industry. So I thought, I know how all this works. I, I'm prepared for this. You know, I trust these producers, but hindsight is always 2020. And I think it's like with the whole thing about being a 29 year old virgin at the time, like that was something that I was super ashamed of and really like fearful about any sort of like conversations around sex and intimacy because I just felt ashamed that I was, you know, still a virgin at 29 year, years old, which, you know, isn't that big of a deal, but was just something that caused me like a lot of shame and anxiety. And I think what I actually found was by being forthcoming and opening open about it. And it sort of took the fear away. Like the, the fact that I was a 29 year old virgin, like 
initially I couldn't even say that sentence, but then it got so easy. I just said it. And it's sort of every time I just talk about it and talk about these things that scared me and be open about them, they sort of dissipated. It was almost like if you shine a light on that, on that dark fear, it's less scary. And that's like, I think one of the lessons I learned throughout the experiment was the more, the more that something scared me, the more important it was that I did it because the less scary it became. Was it a secret that you were a 29 year old virgin? Like did your best mate know? Did- no, no, no one knew. No one knew. Like, um, you know, I, I don't think my family knew cause it's not exactly a conversation you have with your family, but I mean, they probably could have guessed, but no, no friend I had knew. So I think a lot of people were quite, quite surprised when that, that came out. Was that because you weren't really in a rush or because you just didn't find the woman for you? I think it was more, I had extreme social anxiety and I was just scared. Like I was so afraid to be open and vulnerable and for someone to see me for me that I was just so shielded that I wouldn't let anyone close enough to get in a relationship for something to lead to, you know, intimacy. You've been diagnosed with avoidant personality disorder, which mm. I had to do a little Google on to find. Sorry, I've just knocked half a table over. Um, <laughs> so we'll carry on. Like I'll hold my hands up. It's absolutely horrific to have a condition like that. And it's not easy. And especially in a scenario mm. when, I, is it fair to say that you could be walking to the shop or walking to the beach for what you would expect to be a lovely day out and all of a sudden, bang, it just happens and you don't know how to deal with it. It's not so much that I think the beauty of like avoiding personality disorder is a learnt set of behaviors. So because it's a learnt set of behaviors, it's something that can be unlearnt. So it's kind of like a conditioning. It's kind of like, um, how can I best explain it? Basically growing up when things got too much, you wanted to escape from the situation. And when you physically couldn't, you mentally just avoid it. So it was a it was a necessary escape mechanism that was conditioned. So you can unlearn it. And fortunately for me, through therapy, it's something that I've been like unwinding. So it's not it's completely different to what it was back then. But I would I hated. I'm still not a fan of going to the shops just because I I don't really see a point. Like I've got to get something, get in there, get it, get done. I can't like hang around in the shops all day. It's just pointless for me. But I, I couldn't stand going to the shops. I didn't like going to the beach. I didn't, I hated going to the beach and taking my shirt off. I don't know why. I just felt, I think because it was a very vulnerable thing. Like I'm, you know, taking clothes off. I'm feeling quite vulnerable. So yeah, it was, it definitely made, I think the decision to go into the experiment that much harder. And it definitely made what I was going through in the experiment that much more difficult. You made no bones about the fact that you could barely look a woman in the eye when mm. you first appeared on the series. And I saw it when all the guys met and, you know, you're a good looking guy, Matty, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but so are all the rest of them. And they're all mm. very muscular and they're all dressed. Like I would, I would describe it as dressed like they're going to the Grand National or some fancy mm. event. So they're all, I don't know, what would you say, experienced guys and you're going in there um feeling probably a little bit anxious knowing Mm. that you had to to drop that v-bomb that you were you know you were who you were 
And there's no disrespect to that. It is who you are. But, like, what did that feel like? Did you just feel your anxiety building and building because you knew that something was about to hmm. go off? Well, what was interesting about that was I told the producers one of my biggest fears because I was, I was bullied in high school and it was by a, a group of, you know, the popular kids, you know, a group of guys who would, like, throw food at me and all sorts of things that I really, really were kind of unpleasant. So I told the producers that one of my, my phobias is walking into a, a room full of, like, you know, intimidating guys. So for this, this Bucks Night thing, what did they do? They sent me in as the last groom to make sure that my anxiety would be at its absolute maximum because their sole purpose was drama. And I knew going in there that I'd had enough experience sort of avoiding the intimacy conversation that I thought I could navigate the night. And if no one knew, you know, that'd be great. Eventually they'd all find out at one of the commitment ceremonies or dinner parties, but I thought maybe I could just sort of sneak my way through this Bucks night with no one finding out. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that one of the producers must have said to one of the other people that someone here is a virgin because one of the other, I want to say contestants, but they're not contestants because you don't win anything. So, so one of the other guys basically looks, looks at me and I could, I could tell the question that was coming before he asked it. And it's just like, and he asked it, he's like, are you a virgin? It's just like, yeah. It's like, what else could I say? Did you feel good when you, I don't know, admitted it or said it? Or did you feel that burning sensation on your face? Get me out of here. Need to go. Bye-bye. It was, it was that. And then I think the response I got was there was quite a few shocked faces, but then a few people were quite supportive. And then I definitely wanted to get out of there as quick as I could, but I just... I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to, had to stand there. And that was the other thing about that night is where we were was freezing cold. And I had this like really thin, I think it may have even been this shirt, which is like a summer shirt. And I wasn't allowed to put on a jacket because I entered in this shirt. So it's like, you can't break continuity. So it's just like, yeah, but back on topic. Yeah, I I just wanted to get get out of that room as quick as I could. Maddie, how would you describe the whole social experiment? Would you say it's full of regrets or it was a learning experience? This is where I have to sort of do a yes, but. So I have regrets in the sense that I regret letting myself be pulled into the experiment and being fooled. And this is the other brilliant thing about the the show is they actually pair each couple with their own producer. And for me, someone who's constantly constantly wanted validation and approval. They put me with someone who buddied up to me and like constantly gave me this positive reinforcement every time I do something they wanted. So I was like, oh, I, I want to keep getting that, that validation, that approval. So I'm going to keep doing what you guys want me to do because that, that feels good. That's that soothing, that, that wound of, oh, I want that validation and approval. So I regret letting myself fall for that. But at the, at the same time, I can't regret everything because I did the best I could at the time with the information I had and every decision I made, every action that took place ultimately has led me to this point. And this point I'm a lot happier than I ever was. I'm a lot more, I guess, socially adept and outgoing and extroverted and confident. And I've got an amazing partner and it's just the things I have now, I wouldn't change for the world. So I have to just accept that what I did happened and I can't regret it because it got me to where I am now. Talking to me. What more do you want, Maddie? 
What more do you <laughs> exactly. want? Exactly. <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> no, you'd made no secret that a lot of it, would I be right in saying that you meant it was staged? Mm-hmm. It's um staged in the sense that everyone that goes on there goes through a couple of weeks of really intensive psychological testing. So they know your personality type, your your triggers, your traumas, the things that are going to inflame you, the things that are going to bring out the drama in you. And then they find someone to basically draw all that out. So they match you with your polar opposite and then they throw you in a situation that they know is going to inflame the tension. So for me, being a non-drinker and, you know, who I was, they threw me in with a heavy drinker and sent us to a winery for the honeymoon. So it's like they they don't have to stage it or script it in the sense that here is what you have to say. They basically say, this guy and this girl are going to push each other's buttons. They're going to inflame it. And now let's send them to this location, sit back and roll the cameras. So they, they know what's going to happen in an extent, but they don't script it. Did you ever feel that your anxiety during this was going to become completely overwhelming and you just would have had to escape it? Or did you think, all right, I'll be okay here? Or what were your, what were your thoughts? Uh, it definitely, it definitely got up there, particularly for the the second week for me when I started to realize this person I was matched with wasn't who I thought she was. When I was starting to think, okay, something's not right here. My like the the sense I have in my gut is just like something's wrong here, and I was having all these second second thoughts and starting to think, is it is it me? Is there something wrong with me? And then that final dinner party, I was just I was riddled with anxiety because it's like I was so conflicted with. I don't know what's what's wrong. And it's only because this person I was matched with actually asked another one of the the grooms, the, the husbands, whatever, um, in front of me said, what's wrong with him? And it's then then this other guy said to me, Matt, are you are you attracted to this person? And I looked at her and I said, I don't think I am, because no one had ever asked me that question until that point. So then it was like, maybe that's what's wrong. Maybe why this is feeling off and wrong is because I'm just not attracted to this person. You'd said that the series was a bit like a wrestling match and that (laughs) the producers sort of portrayed that you left in a huff, but that wasn't Mm -hmm. what happened. And it must be so frustrating watching that going, that did not happen, lads. I know that didn't happen. I I can't watch any of it. It's it's like, it's just triggering because none of, none of what, I see is actually the reality of what happened. And what had happened for me was because at the first dinner party, this, this person I was matched with, um, everyone drinks a lot. I mean, everyone except me at that dinner party drank a lot. And it's possible that this person I was matched with might've just had a bit too much and she was a bit frustrated, not hundred percent sure what her motivation was, but she just started punching me in the shoulder as hard as she could. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm frustrated. And I looked at, cause we were the only person there besides her and me was a runner, production runner. And I said, looked at this person. I said, are you going to do something about this? And then the runner turned to me and said, you're a big guy. You can take it. I was just like, okay, so I guess that's, that's the attitude of the show. And so when I relayed that scenario to the head producers, they were a little concerned. They had a little more I guess, duty of care than this production runner did. So when basically there was the 
I say relationship in inverted commas because it's not really a relationship. But when that broke down at the second dinner party, those producers actually rushed me out of the dinner party, got me back to the hotel room where we were all staying, made me pack up all my stuff and then moved me to a different room on a different floor in the hotel that no one else knew about. And they told me not to contact her or respond to her because they were just not sure they couldn't predict her behavior and they thought it would be safer for everyone involved if I was just removed away. But the show showed that I walked off in a huff and I cleaned out the fridge and that I don't exactly know what happened because I can't watch it. It's just too triggering. It put yourself in a situation where you said that you were too scared to check your phone because of harassing text messages from Lauren. It, It got to the point where every time I would hear my phone ding, my, I would just feel sick to my stomach. I was scared to check it. Any notification would just fill me with anxiety because I, I didn't want to have to deal with this person because I would get messages saying, like, I miss you or I love you or stuff like that. And it's like, well, I can't reciprocate to that because I don't feel that same way. So I wouldn't say anything. And then because I wouldn't respond an abusive message would come back, you know, hurling abuse or slurs or whatever it is. And I wouldn't respond to that. And then the cycle would repeat itself. And it was just, it got to the point where I was contacting the producers and the, the, the publicist on a, like a daily basis saying, please do something about this. I'm really concerned that this person's getting out of hand. Can you do something about it? And they said, yeah, yeah, we've spoken to her and she said, she'll stop. And then it would just start up again. They're like, their number one priority is ratings, ratings and drama. So yeah, if they can make sure people's mental health is okay as well, that's fine, but it's not number one priority. Let's talk about the honeymoon. And it's no secret that you were hospitalized. And if you were to text saying, this is what happened, I would be like, whoa, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? But Mm. certainly in your situation, it wasn't for the sexiest of reasons. Mm. Yeah, it was um, it was a, a urinary tract infection, a UTI. And that was because the day before on the wedding day, I just wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom when I needed to. And as someone who's riddled with anxiety and has a nervous bladder, not being able to go to the bathroom and having to hold your bladder for, you know, hours upon hours is not good. And for me, it ended up with a real, like I've, I've never had a, a UTI before, but that was like, that was painful. Like I, I, I couldn't sit down. I couldn't walk. I couldn't, the only reprieve I could get was lying down. So they took me to the hospital and they ended up giving me antibiotics because yeah, it's, um, it's a UTI. And that's just because the producers couldn't let me go to the bathroom on the wedding day. Wow. I mean, I don't think they ever pitched it as being enjoyable. If they did, I definitely missed that because it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable. Married at First Sight Australia is one of the biggest programs in the UK, full stop at the moment. We've talked so much about what it was like for you being the 29-year-old virgin and struggling with your mental health issues and you weren't essentially attracted to Lauren and it wasn't, let's say, filmed as your eyes saw it. You have found who you describe as the love of your life. So it has brought good things to it as well. How is... Annabelle. Oh, she's great. She's awesome. I mean, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I'm I'm certainly very happy. I like I I got everything I wanted 
going into the experiment, but it just took getting out of the experiment to meet her. You know, it was, yeah. And she's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I think the reason that I'm in such a good place mentally and emotionally now is because of her and just, you know, being in a loving, supportive, just amazing relationship. Is she the one? Oh, for me, definitely. We can expect wedding bells without Married at First Sight Australia as the working title. Oh, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, she'd have to say yes first, of course, but um, she was actually interesting. Like when, um, when we began dating and she, we were going through the, like the show was airing, you know, months after being filmed and out we've got a new relationship. She made a, a thing where it's like, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed another wedding for two years. So it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah. You should have said five, six years, seven years. <laughs> She's from the UK. Yes. How did you meet? She was actually um, in Australia on a tourist visa. And uh, after the experiment, I decided, you know what? I'm going to do that thing I wanted to do when I was 13 years old. And I tried out for professional wrestling. And as luck would have it, she went to the same tryout day and I, I met her there. And then there's still a little bit of debate about who approached who because she's definitely the more confident. And yeah, uh, we just started talking and then a few weeks went by and then we started dating and then the rest is history. So are you a firm believer in fate? I am. I am. Um, Annabelle's a little less of a, of a believer in fate. But I'm, I'm a big believer in fate and everything happening for a reason. I just, I feel like everything that has happened needed to happen to get me to the point I'm at now. Isn't it funny the way the world works? You have to sort of go through your really, really rough period, but you get yeah. there in the end. One of, my, one of my mates is getting married today. So oh, wow. it's a lovely story that we're finishing the podcast with you on a bright note. And then we can talk about wedding bells because my friends get married today. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, what's the future, Maddie, for you? You said you, when we were talking during the week, you said you want to come to the UK. So would, mm. is that just for a holiday or would you like to see how life is here? Um, we're undecided. Um, I know that Annabelle and I both really want to travel. So the minute that, you know, we can start traveling again, that's what we're going to do. Um, beyond that, I guess just take it as it comes. Like she definitely wants to take me back to, back to where she's from and show me all the places where she grew up and, you know, all the tourist destinations. And we have talked about the idea about potentially moving to the UK at some point, but at this point it's all just, we'll take it as it comes. It always confuses me because I've got a few Australian friends who live in the UK and it confuses me as to why they would want to leave sunshine and sunny, <laughs> sunny beaches for snow and rain in April. We're nice people. So you can have the crack with us <laughs> when the pubs reopen. It's what, two and a half years since you filmed Married at First Sight Australia. Mm. So what's the career for you now? Basically, after my short-lived time on the experiment, I went back to doing exactly what I was doing beforehand and still not not essentially with the same company now, but still doing the same, you know, same videography editing work that I was doing before. And, yeah, I haven't really got much plans to do anything else at the moment. Hopefully when things get back to normal, whenever that will be, I'll see you in the UK or even better, I'll see you in Australia. 